Hi, and welcome to Habits for Humans, the podcast that explains what makes people tick and how to program this brain of ours to do what we want it to do instead of what it wants to do, which is oftentimes wander. We're going to be talking a lot about that today with our lovely guest and one of my very dear friends. Her name is Becky Davidson. I'll introduce you to her in a minute, but we are going to explore why we can sometimes and in some areas of our life achieve extraordinary accomplishments and at other times we're addicted to Cheetos and watching TV. If we want to be healthy and happy, what is the secret to programming this brain of ours to maximize our potential? I'm your host, Kim Flynn, and today we're going to be talking about a different type of meditation. So I don't know what your experience meditation is, whether you've tried to do the Zen out and not have any thoughts. <laughs> um, that's a very frequent type of meditation. Uh, today we're going to talk about something new and different that I'd actually never heard of before, before meeting Becky, and it's a hero's journey practice. I've been trying it. I love it. If meditation for you has been hard or difficult or like, oh, I can't do it or, oh, I'm not good at it. Um, I'm super excited to introduce you to Becky because uh, she has uh, a different way of meditating. It's using story as an alternative type of meditation. And she's going to talk about how the power uh, uh, of telling story or having meditative journey practice uh, can really help you manage stress and overwhelm. So we have a giveaway for our listeners at the end. If you like free stuff, stay tuned. We've got a giveaway from our sponsor. Uh, Habits for Humans is brought to you by Card Salad. It's a health and wellness company that teaches you how to program your brain using systems and habits. Their flagship product is Eat Well. It's a meal planning system. If you know you need to eat right, want to eat right, but don't want to take the time to uh, meal plan yourself, we do it for you. Um, and so you'll never need to diet again. After going through this program, visit cardsalad.com and we have a free giveaway for you at the end of our program today. I am so excited to introduce Becky Davidson to you. So Becky Piat Davidson is a former assistant English professor. She's a researcher, a writer, and longtime meditation practitioner. And can I just tell you, she's one of the smartest people I know. She has a vocabulary <laughs> that is not to be rivaled. So don't be surprised if there are several different vocabulary words you need to quickly look up during our, <laughs> during our uh, interview today. She has created and recorded nearly 80 pieces of meditation content on her beautiful beautiful site, lotomus.com, uh, all of which center around the idea of the archetypal hero's journey. Her brand, Lotomus, combines guided meditation, lush soundscapes, uh, which carry the listener into VR-like journey experiences. It's world building, uh, sorry, world building meets meditation, and it is transformative. So Becky, welcome. We're going to start out with what is your number one habit just to manage your own mental wellness? You know what? I love rituals. I would have to say that ritualizing some of my daily practices, whether it's how I get up in the morning, what I eat when I get up, how I meditate, I tend to do things in the same order every day and I tend to do them the same way. And there's something really beautiful about having a ritual that you can use to sort of inaugurate your day and start it off in the way that you want it to go. 
I love the idea of ritual, as you know. I love habits uh, in general. Talk to us about specifics. I want to hear from like a, a real, like I, like I think of you as like a real meditator. Like I am like playing around. You're like the real deal, right? So t- walk me through like what your ritual is in the morning and where meditation fits in that ritual. Sure. Well, usually I get up. I try to get up early. There's something really magical about the very early hours. I get myself a little drink. Um, I sip on that for a while, and then I prepare to meditate. Are we talking my, like vodka? What what kind of drink are we doing? <laughs> well, there you go. No, I, I'm a mixologist for sure, but it tends to be something hot and of the chocolate variety. Um, I sip on that, and I sort of set intentions for my day. And then when I'm done sipping, I have a spot on my bed. That's where I currently meditate. And I prop up several pillows. I try to keep my back straightish. I, I I'm not so worked up about my meditation posture that I um, that I go too crazy, but I like to have my back as straight as I can keep it. And I tend to just fold my legs into a kind of a cross-legged position. And uh, I close my eyes. Some people will meditate with the eyes open, but the gaze soft. I just like my eyes closed. That's the way my brain reads that it's meditation time. So again, back straight, legs crossed, Uh, eyes closed. And I have several different practices that I use sort of depending on my mood. If I'm feeling a little anxious, sometimes I will use my transcendental meditation mantra. It's just a single word. It has no meaning. It's just pure sound. Hmm. But I've been practicing transcendental meditation among several other practices and techniques for um, several years now. And that will really calm me if I'm feeling anxious. Just the repetition of that one word mantra is enough to signal to my nervous system that it's okay to settle down and I can feel myself just sort of settle in and begin to relax. So that's a powerful way to begin a day if you're feeling anxious with some kind of a mantra. I also love to do a meditation where I gotta stop you. I got to stop you for a second because there's sure. so many good things that just happened. Um, and I've got to review them and ask you more questions about them because I'm like, you don't realize like for people who don't speak German, you're speaking fluent German. And I'm like, wait, 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 what does that word mean? <laughs> so, <laughs> so I love, first of all, that you have a place that you go to. It's always your bed. It's always the pillows propped. It's a place that you start the habit. You start the habit. I think that's so important to have a dedicated place and it doesn't need to be. Um, sometimes you hear of people who wanting to get started in meditation want to like build this whole like meditative like I don't know pillows and all kinds of Moroccan themed stuff and they feel like they have to bedazzle their house you just do it on your bed with some prop pillows I love the place I love the ritual of sipping I think that's beautiful it kind of gets you into that space so that you can then go into meditation signifies to your brain yes I'm ready to start meditating and then I love the the third thing you said is permission to not be perfect um, you, you are not in like this um, perfect yogi position. It's like whatever you're feeling, which I love. And then talk to us more about uh, transcendental meditation. What is it? What does that mean? Give us some more details on that. Sure. You know, that's a practice actually that I feel like you need legitimate guidance for. I have an instructor that taught me how to meditate using a mantra. And the mantra is something that is given from the instructor to the student. Oh, it's not wow. something that you necessarily, yeah. Um, so there's something powerful about a mantra that mm-hmm. 
the translation of mantra is mind tool, mind tool. And that's exactly what a mantra is. It's a kind of technology for teaching your brain that you're going to be starting into a, a, a practice now. It signals to me, for example, that it's okay to relax a little. It's okay to settle into my spot. And it really, honestly, after three years of uh, practicing my transcendental meditation, my mantra has become for me a kind of um, uh, almost like a security blanket. I, I feel very safe when I begin to repeat that in my mind. And I can feel my nervous system start to regulate if it was dysregulated at all. And I just, uh, I feel my stress level and my anxiety kind of dial down and I begin to relax. So it's a very powerful mind tool or technology for um, just settling into a state that's much more relaxed and open. So let me ask you this. Um, so I've always heard of transcendental med meditation. You hear it, uh, TM, you hear it referenced quite a bit in meditation stuff. Um, can you walk us through, and I, we're not asking you to like, give us a whole course in meditation or in, in transcendental sure. meditation, but can you, like, are you allowed to share your word or is it like, no, it's your, it's just for you. Can you like, um, and my dog is freaking out in the background here, the doorbell just rang, <laughs> <laughs> but can you like tell us like what that would even look like just so we can get an idea if we want to explore transcendental meditation more? You know, uh, the word isn't something that I reveal, um, okay. but you know, anybody who's curious could probably with a little bit of preliminary research, find out what the mantras are. It depends on when your instructor was given his mantra uh -huh. um, and my instructor was given his mantra. If I remember right, maybe back in the early seventies, he studied with Maharishi who studied with Guru Dev. Um, so there's a definite lineage there. And I, I love that with that lineage comes sort of the, um, all of the teachings, all of the practice, sort of all of the collective wisdom of people who do that form of meditation. Yeah. Um, so no, I don't, I don't reveal my mantra, oh my but anybody who's serious about it could, um, could undertake to learn transcendental meditation. You would need an instructor. Yeah. Okay. Got it. So it's not something that you're going to learn uh, on your own. No, in fact, that's one of the few practices that I, um, didn't learn on my own. Uh, the other practices I've taught myself, but TM is something that I needed a guide for, and I've been really grateful for him. Got it. That makes sense. All right. So talk to us about, um, so you said sometimes you do um, transcendental meditation. Sometimes you do other types of meditation. What are the other types that you do? So, you know, some of my earliest guides were actually author teachers whose books I decided to invest in and read and study. I've read some of my books two and three times, almost like devotional texts. They've just become really important to me. Um, one of the people I would call a mentor, although I've never met him personally, is Jack Cornfield. And if okay. you know Jack at all, um, he studied meditation uh, for many years in Southeast Asia. I want to say that he studied in Thailand um, with a renowned meditation instructor. I believe he studied in Burma, though I'm, I'm not 100% certain about that. But he writes a book, a very beautiful book called A Path with Heart. And I was given that book as a gift. And when I was really ready to undertake to meditate, I, I thought I've got to have, I've got to have some kind of a guide. And so I started into that book. And the process of learning from Jack was really transformative for me. At the time, I was dealing with some fairly significant anxiety. 
And when he talks, for example, about confronting your demons and naming them as a way of reckoning with the things that frighten you or that make you anxious, I found that so powerful. Give us an demons example can be, of that. Go Would ahead. You, you yeah. mind giving us an example in your life of a demon that you had to name? Are we talking Beelzebub or what are we talking here? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you know, they're, they're, it's a metaphorical term, obviously. And so demon describes anything that for you personally is pesky, troublesome, problematic, anything that triggers you or makes you anxious. Anxiety has been one of my demons. It's a sort of generational demon that has plagued um, people in my family for, for a long time. And my people have tended to medicate uh, their anxiety with alcohol and other substances. And I didn't want to do that. And so meditation for me was a way of reckoning with my anxiety. And so when it comes up, I name it. It's, it's, it's one of my demons. It probably always will be. And I'll say, oh, there you are, anxiety. Yeah. I see you. So for um, me, I think my demons are, um, well, among many, impatience, incredibly impatient. I just get so like, let's move, let's move, you know, that kind of thing. So in that scenario, would in, in uh, and I love, I wrote that book down, A Path with Heart, um, would would Jack have you, Jack Cornfield, would he have you say, okay, her, her name, impatience, is Gloria? Are we, are we talking about that kind of naming impatience or naming the demons? You know what? If, if one of your demons is impatience, mm -hmm. then you would simply see it coming and name it for what it is. You would say, ah, oh, impatience, impatience yeah. here we go. We're having a reckoning. Um, do you want to stay? You know, pull up a chair. <laughs> and so honestly, there's something stay. powerful. Yeah, it's powerful to, um, to recognize what you're looking at and not to try to run from it, escape. Um, when you know that it's there and you don't push it away, suddenly you are less captive to it. And that's one of the things that starting into a practice when you know you're reckoning with one of your demons gives you is a way of being with it without wanting to escape from it, be somewhere else uh, without having some kind of a freak out. Uh, the meditation allows you simply to be with what you otherwise would find unbearable. And eventually you find that that, demon will move through you and it might take a few minutes it might take you know the duration of your practice for that day but these emotions move through us and most of us don't realize that that's that's really beautiful the emotion my dog is my dog is exercising impatience right now and i'm and i'm actually as you're talking because i'm like oh no i'm doing a podcast and my dog is freaking out <laughs> So I'm, I'm sitting here doing, as you're saying it, I'm like, no, I'm just going to sit with this. I'm deeply uncomfortable. <laughs> I, my dog is freaking out and I want to fix it. And, and so I'm just naming that. I'm like, I am deeply uncomfortable with wanting to fix it. There you go. <laughs> that is such a beautiful practice. Talk to us about uh, your hero's journey practice. And have you heard of this before? Did you just invent this? Um, I have listened to many of your hero's journey uh, meditations. They are beautiful. Absolutely love them. And it's like meditation without any work. You just sit there. You don't have to like, you know, focus your brain or, you know, constantly remind yourself to come back or anything like that. You're just, you're just going along in a journey. T tell us about how you stumbled upon the hero's journey practice. Sure. 
Um, well, I had taken up a meditation practice about a year before I began using it as a way to um, teach my kids to meditate. I had a daughter in particular who, when she was about 16, was really overwhelmed, really anxious. She had a friend who was dealing with some suicidal ideation. She herself was um, in school, maxed out with homework, trying to hit all the marks on her college resume. And one night she came and found me in my room and she was um, just sort of overwrought. There, it was too much for her to process really. And I thought to myself, you know what, this, this young woman could really benefit from a meditation um, moment, but I didn't really know how to help stage that for her in the mood state that she was in. And so I said, you know what, come sit with me. We'll sit on the, on the bench at the foot of my bed. And so we sort of sat together. We both crossed our legs. And I said, I'm going to do a meditation with you, but you don't need to worry about anything except just letting your mind go where the story takes you. And so by hanging the meditation on a story, I was able to guide her into this moment. You know, she's a lover of fairies and all things fairy related. And so well, I- Who isn't? Who doesn't love the fairies? Right. <laughs> um, and I cast her as a, a journeyer starting into a forest and then sort of working her way into a little meadow where there was an, a wounded fairy who was um, lying prostrate on the ground with her face pressed to the ground. And as I'm telling the story, you know, I'm trying to create this experience that feels like um, a legitimate world that she stepped into. So I realized I was kind of world building as I went, but I, I asked her to imagine stars wheeling across the sky. Um, I asked her to imagine that she was standing right there um, as this fairy is suffering. And as my daughter's, you know, imagining this experience, I asked her to, to sort of visualize that the fairy's wings had sheared off, leaving her shoulder blades, you know, wounded. And so I had her imagine reaching out to sort of touch the fairy. And as soon as she put her hand on the fairy's back, I asked her to imagine witnessing new wings sprouting from the shoulders of this creature. And then I asked her to imagine that the fairy had disappeared and all of a sudden wings were sprouting from her own shoulder blades and pumping and lifting her up and sort of um, carrying her up into the air. So it was an imaginal experience. It was a first person sort of world building experience where she was the main character, the journeyer, the avatar setting off um, to find this wounded creature and then sort of healing her. And by way of that healing, healing herself, it was a story meditation basically. And when we were done, she was uh, crying mm -hmm. and she asked if she could crawl into my lap. She asked me to hold her. And so I scooped her up all five feet, probably nine of her, uh, five feet, nine at the time. Yeah, she was, she's tall. Um, but I held her for a while until she was done crying. And that exercise in some ways was so powerful and so transformative that she asked for me to do it again on a couple of occasions. And I started to think, you know what, maybe there's something here, maybe for somebody who could 
really benefit from a meditation moment that doesn't have the mental or emotional bandwidth mm -hmm. to really sit for a practice which might feel more monastic where you're just concentrating on your breath for example i think that's too much sometimes for somebody who's in the middle of maybe a panic attack or a moment of anxiety that's very overwhelming and so i continue to do these story meditations um, for my daughter and especially for her younger brother my son who was in a gifted program at the time and really struggling to keep up with the work um, I did I did these almost every night for him, and they always involved him setting off on some kind of journey. And frequently there was an animal, a trusty dog at one point named Faultless, who was part dog, part wolf. And these were moments when I could create a meditative experience by way of a hero's journey story. And my young listener would be the hero journeyer. Um, I eventually sort of took the practice on the road and beta tested it with a group of middle grade boys at the state mental hospital down in Provo, Utah, did that for a year and then tested it on another group of middle graders at a, a different school in uh, North Utah County. So I had some evidence that the practice was really helping young people manage um, their mood states a little more effectively. Mm -hmm. And then we, uh, took the practice up to um, Brigham Young University, the Idaho campus in Rexburg, and tested it with a group of college students who were looking for a project for uh, a design thinking class. So they were learning about marketing and design thinking, and they listened to most of the catalog as it was then. And many of them said, we want this practice. We, we want to do this. So at that point, as a company, we pivoted um, and decided to focus on a slightly older audience. But the idea of the hero's journey has been the same all along. There's always a listener avatar who gets to have a kind of effortless meditation experience by way of a journey story that features them as the hero journeyer. That is so beautiful. I love that it started with your children. Like that's that's how it all came about. It's like what was in front of you right then? Um, someone who couldn't meditate in that space. And that's where the business and where the <clears throat> whole idea of Lotomus got started is with your children. That's so beautiful. Um, I love that you use the word effortless. It's effortless meditation. Um, and I also love faultless the dog. <laughs> <laughs> That's so sweet. <laughs> so sweet and so human. <laughs> so what advice would you give to someone who is like, yeah, I want to start meditating, but I can't get into it or I'm not good at it. You hear that a lot, right? How can you be bad at meditation, right? What advice would you give to them? You know, I think for somebody who wants to undertake a serious meditation practice, um, for the price of a few books, you can teach yourself. I did. I think anybody could. And although I have a research background, which really helped me kind of establish who the authorities were in the space, and that's what kind of helped me decide mm, whose content I wanted to move toward, I really believe that anybody who's serious about undertaking to meditate could teach themselves. Mm. I feel though, like most people are so massively distracted by their tech and mm. by just the business of living in this very fraught world and time where there's so much division, so much um, 
othering. People have so much contempt for worldviews that are different from their own. Yeah. And I think it makes it difficult for people to practice just the ancient art of stillness. People have trouble being still. And I've wondered if, you know, there wouldn't be a, a detractor or two who would say to me, how could this be real meditation if, mm. if your story does all the work for somebody? And in reality, with these narratives that I've been working on building with my team, and of course they do the Foley work and the musical underscores, um, the goal is to move through a journey in order to capture the wisdom at the journey's end. Mm. And that idea of capturing wisdom in a way that feels very real and embodied because you're in this story, imagining yourself as the um, journey or avatar, it's very powerful. Mm -hmm. Some people fall asleep right away, I think, because we're all so exhausted. And, um, and I do have listeners who will use this as a way of putting themselves to sleep. Apparently it's that relaxing, <laughs> but really, yes, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that's that's beautiful. I love the phrase. Uh, we have so much contempt of the the world of worldviews that are not our own these days, and I love thinking about meditation as a way to, um, if not cure that, lessen that, and and allow us to have patience for other people's worldviews. I think it's so beautiful. Um, we want to do a giveaway from you. Um, we have a discount code to use at lotomus.com. Um, watch for that in the show notes on habitsforhumans.com. If you're listening to this on a podcast platform, go to habitsforhumans.com, find Becky Davidson, and you'll find the discount code there and the link to her beautiful website. So Becky, thank you so much. As we wrap up, remember the, the, the <laughs> I can't talk. As we wrap things up, reminder that the goal of this podcast is to program your brain to start instilling systems and habits into your daily life. And a habit of meditation is a really beautiful practice. It's not about what you know, it's about what you do, starting one very small step at a time. Maybe the step could be get something hot to sip, um, fluff some pillows on your bed and sit up straight, right? <laughs> we also have a giveaway from our sponsor, Card Salad. Uh, go to habitsforhumans.com and just underneath the video and the audio recording is a sign up for a free seven day eat real foods challenge. This is seven days of recipes, uh, meal planning done for you and habit cards to start you into a practice of taking care of your body and eating real foods, cooking real foods every night. And so check us out at habitsforhumans.com and sign up for, from that giveaway from Card Salad. Our next episode, we're continuing to explore uh, habits and uh, healthy living, and we're going to have Alicia Hill on. She's going to talk to us about intuitive eating, and here's the shocker, how being healthy can actually be harming your health. And so watch for that in our next episode. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Becky, for joining us. Thanks to our listeners. This is Habits for Humans, the podcast that teaches you how to program your brain to maximize your potential. Uh, reminder to get your free taste of the Eat Well pro program on habitsforhumans.com and start your seven-day Eat Real Foods challenge. Thanks in advance for giving us a positive review and you have a wonderful day. Thanks so much, everyone. <laughs>